You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Aaron's here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. Thanks very much for the feedback on the mock schedule. Uh, it's up on the website right now um, in the blog section. Just go to thekevinsheehanshow.com. Uh, the feedback uh, was uh, quite diverse. Um, from Ray on Twitter, Kevin, why do you do this? It's been the biggest waste of time on your show for years now. It's the dumbest thing you do. Thank you, uh, Ray. Then this from Vic on Twitter. Kevin, I didn't get it. I thought you were going to tell me who the skins were going to pick at number 15. Uh, that wasn't really the point of it, uh, Vic. It's a mock schedule. And then, and then this from Carolyn on Twitter. My husband's bucket list includes a trip to Green Bay. I've booked the airfare and the hotel for him <laughs> for the game in December. It'll be a birthday gift for him. Any chance you can help me with tickets? Uh, thanks, Carolyn. Good luck on that. Um, many of you say it's stupid, then proceed to tell me in detail where I've gone wrong. Uh, this from Chris Skins haven't opened up with Dallas since 2010, Kev. Think that that's what's going to happen. Um, they, they, and then he went on about how they played the Eagles on opening day, the Giants on opening day. In the interim, he thinks it's going to be Dallas on opening uh, week. Um, if you missed it yesterday, the mock schedule, you can listen to it with Tommy and I talking about it. Um, at the 42.25 mark, 42 minutes, 25 seconds into yesterday's podcast is where we did the mock schedule. Um, and if you think it's the dumbest thing that that uh, I do, um, and I don't have a problem with you calling it that, I'm going to continue to do it though because I, I would be doing this by myself. I did this for years on my own before I did it on a radio show. But if you're still curious, um, you know, and you don't want to listen to it, it's, you know, it's up on the website, thekevinsheehanshow.com, and just click on blogs. All right, today's show, uh, we've got a couple of guests. Joe Beninati, voice of the Caps, will join us. And Fred Smoot is scheduled um, to come on to the show today. I, I actually really like Fred a lot. Um, I think he's uh, a big consumer of football, college football, in particular, so I wanted to get his thoughts on the quarterback situation, um, but also some of the other draft possibilities for the Redskins at 15. I'll get into what John Keim wrote, and also a lot of different mock drafts have just come out here recently too, and a lot of quarterbacks going to the Redskins at 15. Uh, also, the, the Cardinals spoke a little bit, or at least teammates of Rosen spoke about the possibility of Rosen coming back and what they would think of that. I did want to mention last night, because I actually watched it, um, the the Nats-Phillies game was really dramatic and really good for an early April game. The two eventual, you know, Nats stars or potential Nats stars, Victor Robles and Juan Soto, they delivered in a way in which Bryce Harper did not last night late in that game. Robles, with two outs and, and two strikes, delivered in the ninth with a solo shot to tie it, and then Soto hit a towering three-run shot in the tenth, basically to win the game. Um, the Nats were down 6-1 to one in this game. Harper had gone deep early off Strasburg, um, but then struck out with a runner on and one out in the ninth in a tie game uh, against Sean Doolittle, who I think you would call that, would you not call that a high leverage spot? 
Absolutely. Or they brought him in in a tie game because I was wondering, you know, if 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 Martinez doesn't bring in Doolittle to try to get Harper out in this particular spot, they won't have a chance to use Doolittle. So I'm glad they did that. You know, it's not always that they end up doing that, but I thought that was a good move. Um, one more thing, too, in the game last night, the Phillies fans, they were gone by the ninth. Did you notice that? Did you watch the game last night? I, I did watch the game. Look, it, They it's thought like it was I, over. It's that, and it's like I said, like, Philly fans, Philly's a great sports town and everything, but when you go on and on about then not just you, but other people go on and on about the Phillies fans, I don't think they're that different from the, your average baseball fan. Yeah, I know you, you've said that about the Phillies fans, and I don't, I'm not going to dispute that at all. It's a better sports town, though. It's a much more rabid sports town um, than D.C., but, but you may be right about the Phillies fans who have been very you know, pretty much fair weathered, you know, when they've been very good, they've been there. And when they haven't, they, they haven't been there. Um, but anyway, it was a good win for the Nats because, you know, they basically, I understand that it's April 10th or and last night was the ninth, but if they had lost their four games behind the division leader and by winning that game, coming back and winning a very dramatic game, they're just two games behind the Phillies. Uh, I emphasize there very early in the season. Uh, the Wizards' season's over, 32-50, and 50, the final count. They did the right thing, by the way, last night. I didn't watch any of it. Um, but they had a big lead against the Celtics, who weren't really playing anybody, and then they tanked in the fourth quarter. Good job out of them. That's what they should be doing. Um, they are uh, really, the way they finished the year, they put themselves into about as good a position as they could have with respect to their lottery odds. Now, you know, that lottery, you know, night when it's determined who will have the number one pick will be a dramatic night. Wizards will have a chance for Zion Williamson, which would be, I think, a game changer, a franchise game changer if it were to happen. Uh, the big story last night was Magic Johnson quitting in Los Angeles. You know, it's hard work being a team president, general manager, team executive in the NBA. And, I, you know, he basically told you he wasn't having any fun if you listen to him talk about this. Magic is my number one, number one of all time. You know, I don't, getting into the debate about Jordan, LeBron, and, and Magic, Magic to me was a transformational player. He was my favorite player. Um, I To me, he's the greatest I have ever watched in terms of lifting a team. Uh, he had great players on that team, and Kareem, and Worthy, and Coop, and Byron Scott, and Norm Nixon before that, all, all the great Lakers. But Magic was just so unique and so great. He's always been my number one. I'm in the minority on that. I get it. I don't care. But being a great player, as we've all seen as sports fans over the years, does not necessarily, and actually usually does not, translate into being a good coach or a good team executive. Magic was not a good coach, and he was far from being a good team president. You know, Jerry West is really one of the few exceptions to the rule in the NBA, and whenever I think about a great NFL player as a general manager, I think about Ozzie Newsome. Ozzie Newsome was a great NFL player, and he turned out to be a phenomenal team executive in Baltimore, building, you know, a winner um, in, in Baltimore. But anyway, um... You know, Magic struggled here over the last year. He botched the hell, or certainly participated in botching the Anthony uh, the Anthony Davis thing seven ways to Sunday. I was reading Alvin Gentry's quotes after the Pelicans last night finished up their season, and he was told about Magic quitting. 
And man, did he have some harsh words for his former GM, Del Demps, who got fired, and also Magic. He said that the fallout from the Anthony Davis trade discussions midseason for both his team and the Lakers was, quote, the most toxic situation he's ever seen in more than three decades in the NBA. Uh, And he noted that Davis got terrible advice uh, in the process. Um, and you know, he, he mentioned it again. He said, this was so toxic, toxic. It, it quote affected two teams and two guys. One lost his job and the other resigned, meaning Demps got fired and magic, um, resigned. He said Gentry did after the game last night, the head coach of the Pelicans in 31 years, I've never had anything that would equal this kind of fallout ever. Uh, close quote. Um, Magic says he wants to go back to being Magic. You know, and for Magic, that is being involved in running his businesses where he doesn't answer to anybody. It means having, and he talked about this, having conversations about players and teams and being a mentor to young players and an advisor to different teams. And you can't do that when you're a team executive. You know, you end up, you know, you end up with tampering charges when you do that. Um, I, I, I do think that he is going to regret at some point the way he handled this. And he's magic, and maybe it won't matter, but he blindsided the hell out of the organization. He didn't even tell Jeannie Buss that he was quitting. He told the media. That's how the news got out. That's how he communicated that he was done. Uh, I think what I heard from magic last night was a guy that didn't want to deal with the scrutiny that comes inevitably in a customer business when your product isn't very good. And by the way, even more than that is such a disappointment. And that's what the Lakers were this year. And I'll go a step further. I think in the back of Magic's mind, I think he may believe that LeBron in L.A. was a mistake. That it was a mistake. That LeBron... He obviously, you know, there were injuries this year, and and everybody will chalk it up to injuries. But listen to this story, which came out yesterday um, in the Athletic uh, about LeBron James, and and this is, you know, goes hand in hand with the Magic stuff, maybe to a certain degree. You know, what, whatever team LeBron's on, the first thing when when a team executive or a coach loses his job, you say, well, what kind of hand did LeBron play in this? Um, But per The Athletic, while James was recovering from the groin injury, he was not a part of the team. Um, According to the report, players started, started to look at James differently. His lack of presence stood in contrast to, listen to this, that of Rajon Rondo. Rajon Rondo was a better teammate when he was injured than LeBron was, according to this story and according to teammates. Rondo apparently would show up at practice and shoot left-handed and hang around the locker room. And when the Lakers left for Sacramento the day after Christmas, Rondo met the team playing at the airstrip with cookies. Yeah, homemade cookies to hand out to the team. That's Rondo. And LeBron, very distant, so much so that the young players on the team in particular, according to this athletic report, became very distrustful of LeBron. Um, And there was a bit of a a schism that developed in the locker room, sources in this story said. 
that the young players no longer trusted James. And look, why would they when the whole New Orleans-Anthony Davis thing came about and it looked like LeBron and Magic were trying to orchestrate it? Anyway, um, also there was another thing in that story, just as an aside, that the Lakers uh, had a deal in place to acquire Jabari Parker. Um, uh, at some point during the season, but, um, anyway, uh, I, I saw that. So they were interested in Parker too. I don't know if that would have been just for this year or for the future. Anyway, I, I do perhaps wonder if, you know, magic's looking at LeBron saying, I didn't get the LeBron James the last nine years. I got a different guy that's more interested in his post basketball career in Hollywood than I did a guy that was going to strap us to his back and lead us to the NBA Finals. Uh, Anyway, I thought the whole thing, uh, that floored me last night. I I was not expecting that, Um, but, uh, but magic's gone. And now we have to ask ourselves the question. With the Lakers' job now open, is the Wizards' job still the best available opening in all of sports, as Ted told us? Uh, I don't know. Uh, John Keim wrote something about um, Josh Rosen today, and it dovetails off of a story um, that was on ESPN.com yesterday, I think written by the Cardinals beat reporter, where a lot of Cardinals players apparently came out in support of Rosen. Rosen was not made available to the media yesterday as players arrived for the first day of their offseason program. Um, but the, the players that did uh, and were able to talk were asked about Rosen, and they supported him. Now, I, I guess you could you know say, well, what are they supposed to say? David Johnson was, was asked about Rosen. He said, I like Josh. I don't know. It's a business, and we, we know that. But um, I like him. Uh, Chandler Jones, he handled himself like a quarterback, like any other quarterback would. He was a leader. I was impressed with how he spoke to the huddle. I wasn't in the huddle all the time. Being in practice, you heard what he was saying, and he was good at grabbing everybody's attention. He was a leader for sure. Third-year safety uh, Buda Baker said um, it was nothing different to him that Rosen was the first player to arrive on Monday mornings for the opening. Uh, or, I'm sorry. It was nothing different to him that Rosen was the first player to arrive this Monday morning, this week, for the opening of offseason because Baker called Rosen a great guy and a great leader. Um, these are all good things to to hear uh, from his teammates. I mean, some of this is sort of unsolicited. David Johnson went on to say, I think the biggest thing about Josh is he came in ready to learn. He was talking to everybody, communicating with everybody, especially when he got the starting job. He was trying to take the playbook and make it into his words that he could understand and he could talk to us about it. We had our groups with the running backs and the offensive line talking about pass protection, and he would talk to us about what he thought. He would talk to the center about what he thinks is going to happen throughout each week. I just felt like he was always doing everything that came with being a leader. Uh, So a lot of these things, you know, are, you know, some of those answers are, you know, you're going to give, you're not going to knock the the player. But I think these guys went a little bit beyond, um, you know, that when it came to Rose. And these are great things to hear if you are one of those teams, you know, interested in trading for him. But it, it also, you know, may be that the Cardinals aren't going to deal him, that they're going to keep Josh Rosen. Like I was thinking about this last night, that 
let's just let's count K- Kyler Murray to Arizona at number one overall. I mean, th- things could change here over the next two and a half weeks. But if Kyler Murray goes number one and nobody's offering a first for Rosen, it's not costing him much to keep him. It's not costing him much. Maybe he's not the, you know, the, the, I think it would be a difficult situation to have Rosen, your number one pick from a year ago, and then all of a sudden you're going to draft this new quarterback. I think it would make it uncomfortable, but you're not going to give him away. And by the way, if you do wait, if you choose to wait and you get into training camp or even in the regular season and all of a sudden there are injuries, that's when you could get the first. You could get the first for Rosen before the trade deadline next season for a team that loses a quarterback, like Alex Smith was lost this year, that is in contention for something. That's when you might be able to really be in a in a more leverageable situation with respect to compensation for Rosen. Um, anyway, uh, John Kime basically uh, wrote uh, about Josh Rosen, and I think he's telling you something that he knows, that... The Redskins are not giving up a first, and there may even be some question as to whether or not they think a second is worthwhile for Rosen. I would say this. If the Redskins aren't willing to give up a second, they're not getting Josh Rosen. I just don't see the Cardinals dealing Rosen now for a third-round pick or a pair of third-round picks. Why would they? They, Unless they think it's just not going to be a healthy situation with back-to-back first-round quarterbacks, you know, in camp. You know, if they're going to go the Kyler Murray route, they're going to go the Kyler Murray route. But again, they could save and wait. They could save Rosen and wait for the right moment to deal him. I don't think it's going to be a third. Yeah, and even even if they did, you know, desperately want to get rid of him because they're afraid of the situation, they can get a late second from somebody. There's no way a three gets it done. I don't think so. I think uh, I think a team like New England or the right. Chargers potentially could give up a late first. But you know, John wrote that there are several quarterbacks that the Redskins do like uh, in the NFL draft. I believe that they like Drew Locke. Um, I think they like Daniel Jones. Um, I don't think they're going to take somebody at 15 overall. I don't think they will. And I think if they were going to take somebody at 15 overall, I think they should consider you know Rosen for a significant package. Uh, that would be my preference, not the first overall. And I don't think they should use a quarter, uh, draft a quarterback with number 15 overall. But um, basically, John in his story wrote that there are quarterbacks the Redskins like in this draft. So if the price tag for Rosen is too high, say for their first round pick, they're not going to bite. He says a third rounder is a no-brainer. A second, it'll take some convincing. Um, so uh, just something to, to keep in mind. I, I, I heard last week that the Redskins would be willing to put together a package for Rosen that would include a second round pick, you know, a second, third, uh, and you know, which of the, uh, of the thirds may, might be in debate, whether it's 76 or 96, which was the compensatory pick. Um, but, uh, and then something later on perhaps is conditional. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, for right now, um, there's nothing imminent. It doesn't seem, but a- as we get closer to this draft and if we get to draft night, Thursday night, April 25th, and Josh Rosen hasn't been dealt and you, the Redskins aren't in love with any of the quarterbacks, you know, in, as far as number 15 goes. Look, the Redskins may like Daniel Jones enough to trade either back or if they can't trade back, 
Because you have to have a willing partner to trade back. That means somebody's got to be willing to trade up to 15 for something they want. Um, but perhaps they could package their second and something to trade back into the first round as a possibility to get you know a Daniel Jones later in the first round. Or it could be one of those drafts where the only quarterbacks taken in the first round are Murray, Haskins, and Locke. And you get to Thursday night, and the first round ends, and then it's that battle to get up to the first part of the second round to get the player that you think you need to have. And maybe the, you know that's when the Redskins make a move, using their second and something later on to move up to a spot where they could get Daniel Jones. Uh, I still don't believe that Keenum is going to be a part of a deal. Um, I think they traded for Case Keenum because they believe Case Keenum is their insurance policy. And that would be an insurance policy for sure, you know, uh, you know, for, for Colt McCoy. But it would also be for a young quarterback, a rookie quarterback in particular, that isn't ready to go. So that's why I, I have a hard time believing that Keenum would be involved uh, in a deal. Um, you said that uh, you had the list of all of the updated mock drafts and all of the different quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I went through and I looked at some of the top uh, mock drafts uh, around the internet, and it was interesting to see because all of them had something to do with quarterbacks. Kuiper released his three-round uh, mock today. He had yeah. Drew Locke going at 15. Uh, Sports Illustrated yesterday released uh, their 10th mock draft. They had the Redskins trading up to nine to draft Dwayne Haskins. Uh, Pete Pisco from CBS had uh, them drafting Daniel Jones and Walter Football, which, if you don't know, is a big yep. mock draft yep. site. Uh, he basically said, I've had the Redskins going quarterback all this time. Right now, I think they're draft they're going to trade for Rosen, so I'm going to have them picking DK Metcalf here. But if they don't trade for Rosen, I'd have them picking a quarterback. <sighs> I mean, everybody's everywhere on this. Yeah, but they all seem to think, you know, they're coming out of draft day with a new quarterback, whether it's via trade or via draft. I do, I, I'll be honest with you. I do not have a sense as to where they have Rosen relative to the rookies. Um, I do think I have a sense of where they have the current players in college. I think Murray would be one, but they're not going to get Murray. I think Locke is number two for them. I think that Locke is the guy that they, you know, like enough and think will be potentially doable. Maybe not with number fifteen, um, and and I, you, you may have to trade up to get Locke. And I don't know that the Redskins are going to be willing to do that. But I do, I don't know where they have Rosen compared to the the, the other the young rookie quarterbacks. But I do believe that they've got Locke number two behind Murray, and then after that, I actually think it would be Jones before Haskins. Uh, that's my guess right now. Um, I also know that they absolutely believe that they can get a stud defensive player at 15. And that is part of the issue right now for them, which it's a good issue from my standpoint, is that if there are internal battles and, and, and conflict over, look, we can't reach for a quarterback when we potentially could get Montez Sweat at 15, a game-changing defensive end pass rusher. Or if they love Burns, we could end up getting you know Burns as a game-changing potentially uh, potential pass rusher. We cannot pass on that ability. We haven't had one forever. And you put a game-changing speed rusher on the edge opposite Kerrigan with Payne and Allen and Ioannidis, good Lord, you've got yourself 
the the beginnings of a really good defense. We we we've thought that for a couple of years now. Definitely felt it last year, and it tailed off. Why why did it tail off? Well, they had secondary issue, uh, you know, corner issues, safety issues, and they still have not had the dominant pass rusher. I do not want them to reach for a quarterback that they're split on at fifteen if they believe they've got the pass rusher that they feel much more strongly about. And this draft will produce those. It will also, I believe, produce a corner at 15 that is a potential star. Whether it's Greedy Williams or DeAndre Baker, I don't think Williams will be there, but I think Baker could be there. And when we talk to Fred Smoot, I'll ask him about the corners and what he thinks about the corners uh, in this draft. I say no to wide receiver. I had this conversation with J.P. Finley the other day, and he had written about it before, and I totally agree with that. I think wide receiver is a position that's pretty deep, and you should be able to get somebody that can help you in the second or with one of those two third-round picks. Now, if you trade for Josh Rosen, you're more likely than not going to have a second and one of those two-thirds this year. Um, I I think the Redskins are in that position right now where they are – They understand that this draft is a really good draft in a lot of spots that can help them. Pass rusher, corner, uh, wide receiver. Not a 15 necessarily, but somewhere else. Um, They could end up adding an interior offensive lineman in this draft that could really help them. So this is what's going on there. And they traded for Case Keenum. And I think you know from a Jay Gruden standpoint... Gruden would rather roll the dice with one of those two veteran quarterbacks than be forced to develop Drew Locke or Haskins or Daniel Jones. And again, I think the order is for them is Murray, Locke, Jones. That's the order I believe they have on their board for quarterbacks. Um, but the you know, we've we've heard Jay Gruden and we heard him say it at the league meetings, you know, if you start splitting reps between your you know, your, your prized rookie quarterback and one of the veterans, it's going to hurt you in season. It's not going to get the, the proper reps for potentially, by the way, a new starting quarterback in Case Keenum, who if you don't add Rosen and you don't draft the, a, a quarterback in the first two rounds, they are probably going to have a competition here, but they'll decide quickly enough and that quarterback will get all the reps. And Keenum's going to need a lot of reps in the Jay Gruden system. We got so much time to talk about the draft. I, I want to continue to add more draft discussion. This is going to be a phenomenal NFL draft. I mean, it is deep. There are potential star players on defense. I mean, if Devin White dropped to 15, which I don't think he will, uh, that's a no-brainer over any of the quarterbacks, any of the wide receivers, any of the corners. Hell, Devin White, if he were to drop to 15, you'd have to wonder why he dropped to 15. I, I like... I like Devin Bush a lot. You know, Ed Oliver was supposed to be the number one pick in the draft this time last year, and now more likely than not, he could be available at 15. A ridiculous talent. Uh, the two, the tight ends we've talked about, especially Hawkinson, who Cooley loves. Cooley loves Hawkinson a lot more than he likes Noah Fant. Um, but he also, uh, the, who was the other tight end that Cooley liked? Um, not not the uh, not the Alabama not Irv Smith. There was another t- uh, tight end that Cooley really liked that I'm blanking on right now. But anyway, um, 
A lot of opportunities in this draft at 15 and in the second round. And the Redskins have four picks in the first 96 in this draft. They do. Uh, I'll net it out. I still would do the deal for Rosen for a package that includes something other than a first. Um, And my guess is that more likely than not, it will happen. But the problem with that right now is the Cardinals' position. They're not potentially ready to move him for something other than you know high value. And I don't know that the Redskins are going to be willing to give up high value for him. Look, a second, a third, and, and something else is significant value. I'm not, I'm not minimizing it, but the Cardinals may want to wait. I think we learned a lot from those, the, those Cardinal player interviews yesterday and what the Cardinals organization thinks about Josh Rosen. And that's very promising if you're one of the teams interested in acquiring uh, a him. Um, and the other thing, too, somebody mentioned this to me. I think it was my friend Kenny who mentioned this to me uh, yesterday. Um, when I pretty much downplayed um, the possibility of the Giants being involved uh, for um, for Josh Rosen, and I said they're just they're not going to give up number six. And he said, "Well, what about number 17? I don't think they're going to give up seventeen either. You know, I don't think the Giants are giving up a first round pick for Josh Rosen. That's that's my guess. Uh, but certainly number seventeen overall would get the deal done. That would get the deal done." All right, uh, let's take a quick moment to do uh, 321, 321. All right, let's take a quick moment to tell you about Window Nation, and then we'll bring in Smoot and talk to him for a little bit, and then we'll talk to Joe Beninati. It's Window Nation's annual spring cleaning sales event. Are your windows having issues, cracks hard to open, unusual moisture, or are you just thinking about windows because you think you need them? I want you to give Window Nation a shot. Harley, Aaron, Eric, they're great guys, top-rated company in the business. Harley's a really good friend. They're going to take good care of you, and you can get a free in-home estimate, so there's no risk. Window Nation will save you right now 33% off your entire purchase. That's 33% off your entire purchase, which would include windows, siding, and doors. Get upfront pricing with no hidden terms, just 33% off every style of window, house of siding and all doors and that includes labor plus for the next two weeks you'll save even more with zero percent interest for five full years on your entire purchase that's zero percent interest until the year 2024 get a jump on your spring cleanup Call Window Nation now, where every window is installed by factory-trained professionals and guaranteed to be done right the first time. Every window is backed by a company with an A-plus Better Business Bureau ranking and over 10,000 positive online reviews right now. There are many reasons Window Nation has installed over 475,000 windows in more than 80,000 homes, including mine, Twice I've had windows put in by Window Nation over the last 10 years. Hurry right now. These off-season savings aren't going to last long. 866-90-NATION. That's 866-90-NATION. Or go to windownation.com and tell them that I told you to call. All right, let's bring in Fred Smoot and talk some Redskins here on the podcast. Um, I, I, I've been thinking about you recently because I've talked to a lot of different people, and you are highly opinionated, and you fancy yourself to be um, pretty good at personnel and and you know drafting and trades, and you follow college football unlike a lot of guys, a lot of former NFL players. You are really into college football. Um, you and Clinton both are, are, are really into it. So I, I want to start with the 
quarterback issue. If you're the yeah. GM, how do you solve the quarterback issue here in the offseason? Uh, to me, it's very simple right now. And it all lays on the Arizona Cardinals. I think they're making it clear that they're going to take Kyler Murray with the first pick. And if they do that, we have to get them a second-round draft pick and Case Keenum. Case Keenum is a guy that's been in that offense. He was in that offense in college. He'll be the best tutor possibly for Kyler Murray in that offense. I think we have to make a move on draft day to get Josh Rosen. Not only will he be the number one quarterback in this draft if he was in this draft, but you get him with his guaranteed money already paid, setting us up to be pretty much the best case scenario considering you have to take on Alex Smith's contract. I think it's Josh Rosen or nothing. What do you like about Rosen? Because it sounds like you're sold on him. Well, the thing about it is he can make every throw on the field. He reminds me a lot of Matt Ryan. If you looked at Matt Ryan's maturation as he got older, as he as he played the game, first of all, he started a ton of games in college. He was a polished quarterback. And I tell anybody, if you had to play behind that Arizona Cardinal offensive line, you would have stunk last year. David Johnson stunk behind that offensive line. It was impossible for him to succeed behind that offensive line. He comes to the Redskins, his offensive line is automatically ten times better, his running game is better. I can't say he has better receivers, but everything else is set up for him to succeed as a Redskin. Yeah, that offensive line was was as bad. Minnesota's was the worst in the league last year, um, but Arizona's was awful um, as well. Um, What if the Cardinals decide not to trade him? And by the way, it was interesting yesterday. A lot of his teammates, like David Johnson and Chandler Jones and a few others, came out and said they really like and respect Josh Rosen, which, by the way, um, I I liked that you heard that from some of his teammates, that they really thought that, you know, that he had some true leadership ability, but let's just say the Cardinals decide, you know what, we're not giving him up for a second. Uh, We're not giving him up for a package of a second, a third, and a fifth, or a second in Case Keenum. We're keeping him. Now how do you solve the problem? Yeah, like I said, man, at the end of the day, it's all about where Coach Gruden is in his career right now. He understands this is a make it break a year for him. So if you're not going to get a guy like Josh Rosen, I think you're going to have to ride it out with Case Keenum. Let's not act like Case Keenum did not take the Minnesota Vikings deep into the playoffs uh, two years ago. This guy can get out there. He can make some plays. He's not the best quarterback, but he's a quarterback that you can win with, especially if you emphasize the running game just like we did last year. So you would feel fine that if they don't pull off a deal for Rosen, which is number one on your list, you would be okay if they didn't use the draft to select a young quarterback and they went with Keenum or McCoy, but but, but your preference is, is Keenum. Oh, most definitely in this it, it, case, Keenum. He, he, you know, Code has been around longer in this system, but but Case is more proven. Let, 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 let's just be honest. He's won playoff game. Uh, Code McCoy hasn't won a playoff game, and Code McCoy has not seized the moment when he's had these chances to be a Redskins quarterback. Some way or another, it always ends with an injury. It always ends bad. So, yes, Case Keenum would be that guy. Seeing, do you see anybody out there that's still available? Uh, anybody in the draft that's going to be there after 15? Let's just say if it's Drew Lock and it's Jones, do you go with any of these guys? Well, I mean, Jay Gruden said at the league meetings in Arizona two weeks ago or whatever, he said, you know, if we draft a young quarterback, 
it's just going to take it takes a while. So he was essentially saying, if we go, what you're saying, if we go the route of a rookie quarterback, you know, we're in the development, you know, we're in the development stages, and and it's not that you write off next year, but you don't give yourself nearly the shot that you do going with a veteran. But I would almost say to you, if you bring in Rosen. You know, and let's just say you trade for Rosen. Is Rosen in year two ready to take? I think if they traded for him, he'd be the absolute, you know, starter on day one, regardless of whether it was he was ready or not. Because if they pull off that trade, they're going to start Josh Rosen, is my belief. But do you think he'd be ready? First of all, let me tell you what I like about the chosen Rosen. Everybody talked about his attitude. I like my quarterbacks to have some attitude. And the one thing this top ten pick is going to feel, he's going to be the first top ten pick at quarterback to be traded, I think, in 30 years, if he might be the first one of all time. It's going to be a knock on his pride. I promise you, you'll never see a guy work as hard as he's going to work. Like, I always tell players, if I can get me a talented player with some motivation that has nothing to do with the regular, I got me a player. He wants to prove that not only does he belong in this league, that he one of the top quarterbacks that came out of his, his very talented class. So I think we get everything we need. We get a player with motive. We get a player that's cap friendly. We get a player that if if you put him with any other quarterback that's out there and available, he's better than them. So at the end of the day, that's the that's the should be the top priority going into the draft come come April. All right, let's say that they either pull off the trade for Rosen or they're going with Keenum, but regardless, they're left with their first-round pick at 15 overall. You watch a lot of college football. Who do you like? Who do you think is going to be there at 15 for this team to take? Well, you know what? I've been a big Montez Sweat uh, oh, guy yeah. for two years. Nobody believed me. Now, he didn't ran himself out of 15. I don't think he's going to be no, there. No, he's not. So now you got to look at a guy like Brian Burns from uh, a Florida State. He has the ability to be there. I think we need to add a pass rusher. If not add a pass rusher, I think we need to go off the beaten path. The one thing I think they're going to be hesitant to do is take a receiver first round because Josh Dotson has not panned out to be that guy. But if I'm at the front office and I'm not going pass rushing, I have to consider receiver, but Greedy Williams would be my pick. Six two and a half, four four forty, four three forty to be exact. Long can go get the ball at the end of the day. At one point, we're gonna have to turn the corner when it comes to cover corners on this team. And I think Greedy would not only be an instant starter. I think this guy has pro Pro Bowl caliber talent from day one. I'm talking about day one. I was gonna ask you about the corners. I mean, I don't think Greedy Williams will be there at fifteen, but do you like him more than Baker? I think he would be there at 15. Now, DeAndre Baker, he's a do-it-all corner. He, he has a lot of Darrell Revis in him. He's never in a bad position. Ran a bad 40. I think he ran a 4-5-3 or something like that. But he plays a lot faster. He's a guy going to have a 10-, 12-year career in this league. He's a pro's pro. I like him. But I actually like Byron Murphy – uh, from Washington a little bit better. He's built like me, he talks trash like me, and he can get after it. So he's a guy from my own heart. But I think if you're not going pass rush, you have to. And when I say pass rush, I mean edge. You have to get an outside linebacker unless you're ready to let Ryan Anderson finally prove to us he'll worth that second-round draft pick. But if not, I have to consider cornerback and wide receiver. 
Yeah, I mean, I we we I talked uh, we did this with Cooley on Friday, and I, I talked about it earlier this week. They haven't had a speed rusher, a true rusher that put fear into an offensive coordinator's heart. You know, during the week before playing the Redskins in a long, long time. I mean, they've had bull rushers, they've had strength rushers, which is where I'd put Ryan Kerrigan, but he's not a fear-inducing pass rusher. You have those guys in this draft. You've got some real speed guys from Josh Allen. Sweat's my guy. I think I mentioned this to you last year. Mississippi State was one of my favorite teams to watch. I don't think there was a better defense in the country than Mississippi State's defense last year. I like the safety a lot uh, from from Mississippi State. Uh, uh, Jonathan Abrams. Uh, Abrams is going to be great, but Sweat looks like a star. You like Burns, too, and those are two of the speed guys. There's some strength guys, but do you agree with me that if they go pass rusher, they need the speed edge, not, not not the power guy? Oh, most definitely. I think it's all about speed. And don't forget about big Jeffrey Simmons. If he don't tear his ACL, he could be the uh, potential top 10 pick at d at Mississippi State. Yep. And mark my word, a team like Philadelphia Eagles is going to draft him with the 30th pick in the first round. Mark my word. They're going to add the rich, going to get richer with Jeffrey Simmons. But like you said, it's so many edge rushers in this draft. I think – the elite guys, you're going to get them in the first 25, and we're sitting right there at the golden spot at 15. Clemson got so many guys, I don't even have to start the name all the guys that they got, Colin Farrell, the rest of those guys that you could you could go through and say, you know what, they're proven guys. Uh, and, and don't forget, if a middle linebacker like Devin Bush is still there, can you look over him, Scott? Uh, no, I mean, if, if if Bush is sitting there, I mean, I like Devin White a lot more than I like Bush, but White's not going to be there. Devin White won't he, be he's, there. He's, he's, he's not, he's not going to be there. Um, all right, b- back to wide receiver here for a moment. Um, I don't think they're going to take a wide receiver at 15 either. I don't think there's a wide receiver worth taking at 15. I'm not a Metcalf guy at all. Um, I do like the smaller receivers in the draft. To me, Paris Campbell reminds me of Deshaun Jackson. Uh, Tell me about the receivers and who you like and who you don't like. Well, I actually like Hollywood Brown. Very tiny receiver. He reminds me of Deshaun Jackson. He will be there in the second round. I even like a guy by the name of Jalen Hurd, 6'5", 235 pounds, used to play running back at Tennessee, also played running back at Baylor, and wide receiver. I think he could end up transforming to be a beast, and you can get him with one of those two fifth-round picks that you're going to have on that day. So there's guys like that that you need to look for. And then – you have to also, oh, Iowa State kid, he can go, you know, these guys can go out there and make plays. So it's, it's some big receivers in this draft and some small receivers in this draft. And, and, and actually, it's deeper than people actually think it is. But if I'm the Redskins, on the second day with my second pick, I'm taking Debo Samuels. I think he's the most complete. South I think Carolina. he's the most NFL. Yeah. Yes, he's the most NFL ready. His routes are precise. He can run after the catch. He can read zone. He is the most complete guy, and he can return. Debo Samuels would be my pick, and if we don't pick him, we're going to regret it because he's going to have a great career. All right. Um, last thing, and I'll let you run. Right now, the the over under on wins for the Redskins in Vegas is six. I mean, it's at the bottom of the league. The expectations for next year are super low. I mean, and I don't yeah. think I don't think unjustifiably. I think that there's you know good reason. No quarterback. To, hey, yeah, hey, yeah. Scott. No quarterback. No quarterback. <laughs> you in a division with Lynn. a young, a talented Dallas Cowboy team in a Super Bowl. 
win a team two years ago in Philadelphia. So, yeah, I understand why they picked it. It's Kevin Sheehan, not Scott Lynn. Um, we look like we look alike, but I'm I'm much smarter than he is. Um, and, and much handsomer than he is. Yeah, but, yeah, I, I think so. Well, he's much older too. I mean, he's like 60, 65, <laughs> something like that. Um, but but anyway, um, yeah. I mean, I I, I I I mean, that's the the question really is what's what's reasonable for next year, even if they got Josh Rosen, what's reasonable for next year for you know looking at it objectively and it's tough for me as a fan or you as a former player but try to be objective what what are reasonable expectations right now for 2019 i am known to keep it real all right i'm always known kevin to keep it real so i am going to be honest if we get josh rosen we can be a legit nine and seventeen and could fight to get to the playoffs. Do not forget, this was the same team leading the division at 6-3 and three when Alex Smith was upright. If you can get a trigger man in here, we have a chance. If we go with Case Keenum, we have another chance at mediocrity. And that's the only thing that has been killing us for decades is the fact we stay around 9-7, 8-8, uh, seven and nine. All right, we're never, we're never the bottom feeders, and we're never the best. But at one point, you have to go rock bottom to get to the places you want. And the next two drafts are going to be deep at the quarterback position. So you're looking at two of our tongue lower, and you're looking at Trevor Lawrence. So at the end of the day, at one point, we either got to hit rock bottom, or we got to get Josh Rosen and sky's the limit. Yeah, I agree with the rock bottom. I was all in favor of just saying, let's blow off 2019. Let's get rid of some of these big contracts. Let's add some more picks, you know, by trading some some guys that aren't going to be around when you're really legitimately ready to win. Maybe a guy like Kerrigan could have brought back, you know, a pick. Um, but they're not going that way. I mean, they can't. They, they can't go that way. Gruden's basically, a, you know, potentially a lame duck cut coach. And I don't know what this situation with Bruce Allen is, but at some point, He's going to have to produce an actual winning season, a competitive season. Oh, most definitely. That's what you're talking about. We're, we're at a crossroads right now. And we're either going to go up or we're going to, go, or we're going to decline. Like I say, either Josh Rose is going to come and be the savior uh, Case Keenum is going to take us to the pits of misery. Like, one of these things is going to happen, especially if we don't get him some help on the outside. Don't forget the receiver core he had in Minnesota. And, and that's a different type of uh, receiver core with Diggs and the rest of those guys. And now you want to put him with our guys. I think we got we, we got to boost up the wide receiving core, too. And I wouldn't even be shocked if they went out there tight ends. There's a couple good tight yep. ends in this draft. Yeah, there are, including both of them from Iowa. All right, look, I always enjoy doing this. Thanks so much for the time. We'll catch up soon. Always, always. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having me. All right, great to catch up with Fred. I love Fred. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, not all of these former players watch a lot of football, college football. The two guys, and, and Cooley watches a lot of film. But Portis and Smoot, you know, watch games all year long. They're really into college football, so I always like catching up with him, regardless of what he of what he calls me um, during the interview. Um, but it was great to catch up with him. By the way, quick reminder that uh, if you are listening to the podcast but you haven't subscribed yet in your platform, whatever it is, allows you to subscribe, just do that for us. It really helps us. It'll just deliver the podcast to you every day. It doesn't mean you have to listen to it necessarily, um, but it's better for us if you subscribe. And there's no cost. You don't have. I mean, there's no 
effort other than just saying I want to subscribe to it. Usually it's a one-button touch. At least it is on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And also, if you get a chance and you haven't in the past, rate it for us and write a review if you haven't done that. That helps us get ranked um, high on the various lists for sports podcasts. Um, And we've been pretty high on that list at various times. Um, I'm not sure exactly how that whole thing works, but I know that subscribing, rating, and reviewing us helps uh, a lot. A quick word about Launch Workplaces in Bethesda. If you're looking for new office space, Launch Workplaces is the place to go. Uh, In Bethesda, they've got a brand new, beautiful space with fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks. You know They've got a cafe, they've got parking, and it's free, and plenty of it, and 24-7 access. You can get more work done today by moving your office to launch workplaces. Call today, you'll get an exclusive free two-day trial. Somebody was in here the other day, um, they were on a free two-day trial. They had heard it on the podcast, which was great. You can call 240-800-6714, that's 240-800-6714. They've got plenty of other locations around town, and you can find all of those at launchworkplaces.com. All right, Caps open up tomorrow night against Carolina. The NHL playoffs actually get underway Tonight, Joe Beninati, of course, is the voice of the Caps uh, with Craig Lachlan, and we will be watching um, throughout the postseason. I want to start with this, Joe, and, and that is, do you have a sense that we saw towards the end of the season this team come together a little bit? They had some very good and important games with Tampa and with Carolina in particular. Even the games against Tampa that they lost, these were highly competitive games. And that maybe they got on a roll a little bit heading into this postseason. Do you feel that way? Oh, yeah. Much more businesslike, Kevin, in the last uh, month, month and a half of the season. And Todd Reardon alluded to this uh, recently in one of our media scrums that the team came back from all-star break, from bye week break, when they were going sideways, when they had lost seven in a row, their defense was, was very poor. Uh, he alluded to us that they made a change of, in tactic, that they made a change in some plans, different approach, much more aggressive, and they've been much more businesslike down the stretch. And I, I think you've hit upon it. I think it's just a matter of a championship team knowing it's time to defend. And, and they look really good. I'm watching them today in practice. Everything's buttoned up. They look sharp. Yeah, there just seemed to be a a confidence um, thing in watching a few of the games down the stretch. By the way, I want to get to the Carolina series in a moment, but you mentioned Reardon. For those of us that are going to be much more in tune now with the postseason in terms of, you know, every period, every pass, every shot, what will this postseason look like under Reardon versus Trotz? Will there be differences? Not very much. Not not very many in the way that those two coaches approach the game. Todd is, a, and this is not to say that Barry isn't, but Todd is a very cerebral mind. Todd is very video-oriented. Uh, it's amazing how well-prepared this team is. And Barry, and, and Brayden Holtby mentioned that to me about the, the Barry Trotz regime as well. They went into every game last year, regular season, the last four years, incredibly well-prepared by Barry and his coaching staff. Todd was a part of that. So he's watching all of that, and he's so interested in video study, film study, uh, interactive meetings between special teams groups and and, and the opposition. He, he's so detail-oriented. 
and, and not in a bookish way, not in a way that turns people maybe off. Uh, he's able to get his approach across really well. I think he and Barry Trotz share those similarities. And, and for the most part, I don't think people will be able to recognize much in the way tactically different. But there, this will be an interesting time for Todd because it'll be the first chance for him, since he's the button pusher, since he's the head coach, to really match up with um, with another head coach in a Stanley Cup playoff series. In this series ahead, you've got two first-year head coaches, both of whom have done really, really well in, in Reardon and Rod Brindamore. Let's talk about Carolina in this first round. The Caps actually swept the Hurricanes during the regular season. But in doing um, some reading here over the last 24 hours, a lot of people think that's, that this will be a very tight series. Do you agree or disagree? I agree 100%. Um, and to not to not agree 100% would be disparaging to a Carolina team, Kevin, that won 31 of its last 45. Wow. I mean, they've been, since New Year's Day, they've been really good. And I, I like their team a lot. I think it starts on the back end. There's a, a defense core there that is young, extremely talented, extremely mobile. Uh, they are able to join the offense um, for the Hurricanes extremely well. And they, they'll pose problems. I, I think Washington is definitely the favorite. I think Washington definitely wins the series. But to say it will be easy, no. Because they won four games in the regular season, no. Every time the Caps play the Canes, it's close. It's tough. And, and now I fully expect it to do so uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. They only Carolina only had two, two wins fewer than Washington in the regular season. This is a very good Eastern Conference. It's a very good clash in the first round. What are the keys to them beating Carolina in this series? Uh, defending home turf. You know, you really – I think all these guys were talking with us during the week. Uh, I'm going to think back. It was Nicholas Backstrom who, who first looked at me and said, you know, we're going to get off to a better start. And and by that he meant, we're, oh, fingers crossed, they're not going to lose the first two games in overtime like at home year. like yeah. they did to Columbus. Yeah. So, to me, taking care of home ice is, is especially important. And the Caps have been good here, uh, very much so down the stretch. I wanted to say maybe 10-1-3. Uh, in the last 14 home games. That'll be just fine. Thank you very much. They'll be good there. Special teams will be important. They always are. Braden Holtby uh, outplaying whomever it is who gets the call on the Carolina side, whether it be Morozik or McElhaney. My my gut tells me it would be Morozik, but Braden's performance in the last month, Kevin, has been really good. So I think he's in the right place to begin this title defense. You know, it's just interesting coming off the, the first Stanley Cup uh, ever um, and the the feeling that they're the defending champs and the, there's no hurdle to clear anymore. You know, the Penguins, you know, aren't lurking, and, and they could be lurking in the second round. But there's just a whole different feeling about this postseason. And I don't want to call it house money because I think that's the wrong way to describe it because there's a lot to accomplish still, but... Boy, you know, for so many years, Joe, we went into this thing, and every year in talking to you and everybody else before the playoffs started, there really was this huge weight on the franchise's shoulders, on Ovechkin's shoulders in particular, and it just feels so much different this year, and I'm wondering if that'll help them even more so. Because remember, they were in trouble last year against Columbus. Even even that Game 5, Joe, in a 2-2 series when they got outshot, you know, I forget what it was. It was something like 17-1 in the third period or whatever it was. They were really on the ropes there a couple of times, but it just feels so much different this year. It, it does. There's a different confidence. 
there's also a different pressure, Kevin. They're the hunted now. Every team's going to want to take them down. They are the defending champs. Every team in the regular season gave them their best shot from game one through 82. I think that only makes them better. It's, there's no substitute for the experience that they went through last year. Absolutely none. They have such a great memory bank that they can go back to. And there was so much adversity. If you remember, pretty sure they trailed in every series last year. Yeah. At some point in time, they trailed in every series, and they were big enough, bad enough, good enough, however you want to put it, they were good enough to come back and do it. Uh, they know that they can do it. They have the feeling that they want to do it. Aside from Michael Kempney, I think they're healthy enough to do it. I, I really like their chances. It's a different kind of pressure. The expectations are still there for them to be Eastern Finals, Stanley Cup Finals. So they feel that, but I think they think they're well-equipped to, to get there. I talked about this uh, yesterday with Tommy on the podcast. Um, I am surprised as a better, not a, a hockey better, but just as a better in general, um, that Tampa is such a prohibitive favorite to come out of the East. I recognize their regular season, Joe. I know the, the incredible regular season they had. I also know that the Caps played them three times here you know, over the last month. In all three of those games, the Caps could have won um, and, and really you know, could have gone either way, which you know, I think Tampa grabbed two of them. The Caps got one of them. But they are a monster favorite to come out of the – almost an even-money favorite. Why do you think that is? People are just looking at an historic season a 62-win season. They are top to bottom, Kevin, the best team in the NHL. It's I don't know that it's really that close from the regular season. Washington could have beaten them three times. I agree yeah. with you. Washington beat them in a seven-game series last year, came from 3-2 down to do it, shut them out twice in game six and seven to do it. I think the Caps know they can beat them, but I think maybe Vegas is looking at an historic season where – Tampa Bay, offensively, defensively, and in goal, I mean, it's extraordinary. They have studs everywhere, and I, I can understand why they're saying what they're saying, but this is an incredibly deep Eastern Conference. I'm not so sure Tampa's going to run over Columbus in, like, five. If, if they do, I won't be surprised, but I also won't be surprised if Columbus pushes them to seven. I, I really think the Eastern Conference is flat-out loaded everywhere, both sides, Metro and Atlantic. So I'm expecting this to be a great time of year for, for hockey fans to watch compelling series across the board. Tampa Bay, to me, the difference makers, Vasilevsky in goal is arguably, I think, the Vesna Trophy winner. Could have easily, had he not missed a month with a broken foot, could have easily tied or eclipsed Braden Holpe and Martin Brodeur's record for wins in a season. He's that good. Difference maker, back end, Victor Hedman, and a healthy Ryan McDonough. McDonough wasn't healthy last year when the Caps matched up with Tampa Bay. That was a big difference. Now they have two number one defenders. I mean, they, they are, and, and I don't even get started with the amount of skill they have up front. They are a favorite for very, very good reason. I still think the Caps can take them down. Uh, you know, just looking at a lot of the, um, you know, the the so-called experts and all of the predictions, that's really the only series in this first round in either conference that's considered to be one-sided in nature. Even the Cap series, I mentioned there, there are several people picking Carolina to win this series. Islanders, Pens is pretty much split. A lot of people like Toronto's chances against a very good Boston team who had a terrific regular season. And out west, I mean, these series, you know, maybe the Calgary, Colorado series. 
series is one-sided in terms of the selections, but you know, it, it, does this playoff with uh, does this postseason, with the exception of Tampa, seem wide open to you, Kevin? I'm not so sure that uh, Calgary's going to run right past Colorado. Uh, the Avalanche have an offense that can scare people, and Calgary, I think, head coach Bill Peters has done a fabulous job there with the Flames. He's he's on my coach of the year ballot for for very good reason. But uh, you know they haven't been there. They don't. Their their expectation level is extremely high by comparison to what they've done in the past. So let's just wait and see. I think all the way across the board, though, from an openness standpoint, yeah, sure it is. Most people are going to say take the easy way out and point to Tampa Bay, and I can't argue with 62 regular season wins. But aside from that, it would not surprise me at all if the winner of the Boston Toronto series were to knock off Tampa Bay in round two. It would look just like the Caps as President's Trophy winners two years ago, three years ago, getting beaten by Pittsburgh. It's just that's just the nature of the beast. There's nothing about being a President's Trophy winner that guarantees you the cup. Nothing. But that team is skilled enough in in Tampa, Florida, to do it. They are really incredibly well built. Give me a quick thought on the other um, divisional series, Islanders Pens, because that you know the Islanders tailed off there towards the end of the year, and that if the Caps get through Carolina, that's your second round matchup. Barry Trotz and the Islanders were here on April sixth, Kevin. I saw Barry in the hallway after the game, and he says, "You know what?" I think we got a plan to beat Pittsburgh. And I looked at him, I said, oh, well, you've done it once, yeah. and you did it most recently. He he firmly believes that they have a scheme that can frustrate uh, Pittsburgh's most talented. And I understand that's the way you're going to have to do it. The Islanders play a suffocating style. They give you nothing in between the blue lines, and that can be frustrating. And the more that series goes, the more it may wear on, on the likes of uh, Crosby, Malkin, and Kessler and all that group. So I don't mind I don't mind people taking the Islanders there. That's going to be exciting for them to go back to Nassau Coliseum. That little barn is going to be electric. Uh, that's a really close series. I would not be surprised if it goes the distance. Um, and then if you want to stay with Boston and Toronto, those two teams know each other extremely well. I think the Bruins are a team that can surprise someone in this series in the in the playoffs. I really do. They're Bruce Cassidy has them playing in a way that they believe there's a self-belief there that they can overcome any hurdle that's in front of them. The hurdle that's in front of them right away is Toronto's offensive capabilities. We saw that a couple of years ago with the Maple Leafs. Those guys were just puppies then. They're a lot more experienced now. That's an incredible series. To me, that's seven without a doubt. All right, last one, and I'll let you run. Give me a player a Caps player that is going to emerge, end up being, I don't want to call it a surprise performer, but, you know, a, a Verona from last year's postseason. I mean, hell, I think they're going to miss Smith-Pelly from uh, from the postseason a year ago. But give me a player that you expect that will have a, a bigger impact than most are thinking heading into the postseason. I'll give you a couple, Kevin, just by looking at the roster and a little bit by watching practice today. I'll go Carl Haglin. Carl was brought here for good reason, yep. to help on the penalty kill, to bring his big game savvy to the postseason here for Washington. This is a guy who's been there, done that really deep in the playoffs a couple of times as a cup champ in Pittsburgh. <laughs> I fully expect him uh, to be in sync with Kuznetsov and Oshie as they start the postseason. I don't know where Carl's going to finish it because 
he's so darn flexible. He's so darn versatile. He gives Todd Reardon so many options. But he's one for me. The other is Brett Connolly. I, I just get the, sensation, the, the feeling that Verona Eller and Connolly are going to have a very, very good postseason because at this time of the year, best tends to neutralize best. Third liners, quote-unquote, tend to rise up. I love, if they keep it together, Verona Eller and Connolly as a unit. So it would not surprise me if Brett gets on the board a couple of times. He's had a, a real strong regular season. All right, what's your schedule? What What's yours in, in locker schedule? Do you have the whole first round here? I wish we did. We have game one, game three, <clears throat> and game four. We know that for sure. We have game six and seven. We know that for sure. Game five is up in the air. So the network keeps us jumping from time to time. But we'll be involved pregame, postgame on NBC Sports Washington. But for sure, game one, game three, game four come to us. Um, you're, you know, you really do. I mean, you know how, how I feel about you as a play-by-play guy for this particular sport, but you and I must have missed each other by minutes in state college on Sunday. And when I got home, um, cause my youngest son is there, I, I watched some of your call of Ohio state, Penn state, which was great. Um, and wow, Penn state, Aaron, did you know this Penn state's the number one lacrosse team in America? Yeah, uh, which is which is crazy. They beat Maryland a few weeks ago. Um, but you do such a good job on that sport, too, and I know a lot of people enjoy you on that. And some of you don't even know you do it, but you were doing it for the Big Ten Network the other night. Uh, Kevin, I appreciate that. The Big Ten Network, they've been very, very good to me. They they give me a lot of football, a lot of college lacrosse. We've dabbled with hockey for them with them from time to time. But the Nittany Lions, from an offensive standpoint, they're like Tampa Bay. <laughs> yeah. They're like Tampa Bay in the NHL. Their offense is so good and so fun to watch. Yeah, I was up there for one of those uh, tornado of a weekend, uh, parent weekend thing where by the time I got home, you were on and I fell asleep because it was a long weekend. Um, that place is a lot of fun uh, on, on a weekend, even for the parents. Uh, look. That's funny. My voice puts you and my mom to sleep. All right, I understand that. Something needs to change. You know I didn't mean it that way. Hey, enjoy the postseason. Hopefully we can catch up soon. Anytime, Kevin. Joe's the best, um, and he'll join us again. Hopefully we're in for a long run here, and we'll have another opportunity or two to catch up with Joe Beninati um, during the postseason. And during this postseason, all of our CAPS segments are brought to you by Mama Lucia, which is fresh Italian cooking um, and great pizza, of course. Uh, They are the proud sponsor of Capitals Hockey and the Race to the Stanley Cup on the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. Six area locations. Mama Lucia has been a big help in feeding the local community since 1977. Tomorrow on the show, we will announce the start of a capital hockey special for listeners of this podcast. Check out MamaLuciaRestaurants.com to schedule a delivery for your Caps Watch party. All right, a couple of things um, before we uh, say goodbye for the day. I... I'm a big Jeopardy fan. I watch Jeopardy a lot. I've not been watching this week, and apparently I'm going to regret not watching yeah, this week. just a little bit. Because James Holhauser, or Holzhauer, won $110,914 during the episode that aired last night. The most ever on a single day in the history of the show, the 35-year history of the show, um, the previous single day mark was $77,000 on September 14th, 2010. He's now won 
a, a, he's won $244,365 during a four-day uh, run here, which is also a record. But on one episode, $110,914, I'm assuming, apparently on Final Jeopardy, he got correct, obviously, that that particular bet was thirty eight thousand yeah. dollars. He had such a he had such a runaway going. He could bet as much as he wanted, and usually in that case, they just kind of bet low to keep their money. Right. But in that case, he well, just or you went bet for strategically. It. Yeah, but he no wasn't going to lose. It was yeah. a runaway, so, so he just bet as much as he could. So he had you know essentially somewhere in the neighborhood of like seventy two thousand going yes. in to that final Jeopardy yeah, question. He, and he, he also bets big on double Jeopardy. He does? Or does on, he just on, on uh daily double. Yeah, the, the the story did not give the the whole game. Like I want to know how he got to that seventy two thousand, which is a remarkable number in its own right, to get to that before final Jeopardy. Like he must have gotten double Jeopardy, you know, um a couple of times and just gone all in. Right and just risked everything and and hit on all those. I did see that. Apparently, um, he has yeah, answered. Yeah, he, he won. Uh, he had two daily doubles. One was he did he would go he went all in for fourteen six and then went all in on twenty five. All right, 000. so he so at fourteen six he went all in and that, he so that go, put him at twenty nine two and then where 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 that, else? Then he? he was at forty six eight and put another twenty five thousand on another daily double. Oh wow! So that got him to seventy one eight, which sets you up for the final Jeopardy. Yes. Wow, he went big at fourteen six. Did he have a huge lead? I mean, he must have. How else? He can't yeah. get anywhere close to four. Or he's just, or, or he's just saying, you know, because you know. Actually, no. Actually, at that point, he probably didn't have a huge. He definitely had a lead at that point, but he he's did. correctly answered 129 right. of his first 133 attempts on Jeopardy. Um, now, the, the part of what attracted me to this story was I am a Jeopardy fan. Um, but he is a self-proclaimed uh, professional sports better. Um, he had he graduated from the University of Illinois in 2005 with a degree in math. Um, he spent time running a poker strategy website and then built a bankroll for future sports betting. And uh, it's apparently uh, ESPN has confirmed with uh, at least two Las Vegas sports books that he is a respected better. Understand this, and I've talked about this a lot. If you are a true professional better, making big money on sports betting, you're not known to the general public. Um, you are known to the sports books, but they don't. The the, the professional, the real killers, the, the, and there are only about a dozen of them. All right, those guys typically are limited and then have to find people to place the wagers for them on their behalf. So if this guy's a big-time professional sports better, all I'm telling you is the fact that we know his name and he's self-proclaimed and a couple of ES, uh, a couple of Vegas sports books know him, he's not putting anybody out of business no. with his sports betting. But he, it He's may putting be, Jeopardy out of business, He may be putting apparently. Jeopardy out of business. <laughs> now, you told me before the show that you actually qualified on an online Jeopardy contest to get interviewed for the show? Yeah, so once or twice a year they do, and actually I think they're doing it right now, they do the online test, which is basically they give you 50 questions online, you, you, know, you have answer. You only have like 10 seconds to answer each question. 
Um, so it's not like you can sit there and go back and forth, you know, Google all the answers and stuff. Uh, I guess I got a good enough score, so I got to got called back for an audition, which they had in D.C. They had, like, a bunch of sets of auditions. It involved another written test, and then, like, we got to play a mock game with uh, two, two of the other contestants. They just called us up in groups. Basically, it was, like, the first segment of the show. We did, like, 12 questions, and then they did the, you know, the little interview segment at the beginning of segment two. So... That was kind of cool. So did you, did you make it into the mock game part? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, everyone does do? the mock game. I did pretty well. They, It's not so much the pure game because they more it's more to assess how uh, just how at ease you are in front of people and stuff. So you got to, you know. Were you nervous? A little bit. But actually, I, I was a lot less nervous. There were some people you could tell were like kind of trembling up there and didn't know what they were doing. But uh, it was funny. I. It, that part is definitely to show personality and stuff, yeah. especially during the interview portion. Right. I definitely talked to them a lot longer than anyone else got just because I mentioned something about wrestling because mm-hmm. I they last one I did, I was like, well, I'm a sports producer, I do reporting, and oh, yeah, I'm the only person in this room who has probably gotten paid to interview wrestlers before, and they just went on and on about that, so I was just trying to kind of well, I mean, highlight it. That's you know, that's a big part of the show, usually a pretty geeky part of the show, exactly. um, but you probably fit in that particular <laughs> part of go. the show. Technically, um, but, I'm still in the pool. They, they could but, call me at some point. Oh, you are in the pool? For, for the next six months, I'm still in the pool, and then I can retry out again, potentially down the line. I love the show. I, I've always loved the show. You know, some nights you think you're a complete idiot because you don't get any answers right. And then the next night you run like two or three categories in a row and actually think for a moment that you might not be a complete moron. But is there anything better than when you get a question and no one on the uh, show gets it? Absolutely. Well, (laughs) or that no one else in the room gets. And they're, oh, how'd you get that one? Um, You know, obviously, you and I being big sports people and a lot of the people listening, I mean, seriously, the sports categories, they're usually so ridiculously easy, which tells you just when you get, you know, a category that you're not very good in, like, you know, for me, it would be basically any literature category um, or most science categories. Actually, some some of the science, it wouldn't be that bad. But you know they're not super difficult questions. It's really a test of your depth. Um, and I'm very narrow, very, very narrow. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, Alex Trebek has got pan- pan- yeah. pancreatic cancer. Yeah. Wasn't that announced like a month ago? Yeah. That is a, that's not a good one um, to get. Um, but anyway, all right, well, good for him. That's uh, a lot of money to win on Jeopardy. I, w- I hope they replay it at some point. Do they ever rerun Jeopardy? Like, I don't think they do. They, they do rerun during the kind of the, the off Summer season. months. Yeah, during the summer months or whenever it's the off season. There's also sites online that you can go and just watch it. Right. Yeah. Um, and for all of you that are sending me your own mock schedules, that was my last thing for the day. I, I don't really want to see them. This is the, 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 like Cooley. Cooley has only pissed me off once in the a length of time that I have known him because we have been friends for a while. Even before we started to do the show together, we were good friends. And it was when I did my mock schedule on the show for the first time with him. And then he's like, oh, wait a minute. We're not done yet. I did my own mock schedule. And I said, no, 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 that's not your bit. That's my bit. I don't come in here and do a film breakdown right after you do your film breakdown. That's your bit. My bit is the mock schedule. And he did not relent. He's like, no, I'm doing it. And he was, he was a petulant child that day on the show. I'm like, no, you're not doing it. And then he goes, I am going to do it. And he just kept talking right through me. <laughs> And he didn't even have the right opponents when he started doing it. 
But anyway, um, I don't. You can send them to me. I'm kidding. I don't really care. But uh, if you want to see the mock schedule, it is now officially up on the um, on the on the website, thekevinsheanshow.com. And I think we are one week away from the NFL schedule being released. It's going to be either next Wednesday or Thursday, I believe. It'll be released, and then we can talk about. Oh, there we go. We're going to win there. We're going to lose there. We're going to win there. Up, oh, we got ourselves to eight and eight, and maybe nine and seven. Maybe nine and seven. Uh, anyway, thanks to Smoot. Thanks to Joe Beninati. Scott's going to be on the show tomorrow. Um, Greg Wyshynski is going to be on the show tomorrow to preview Caps uh, Canes as well. And then Steve Sands will join us from Augusta on Friday. Scott's in, in, in Augusta as well, so we'll do some golf. Uh, tomorrow um, in the first round by the time you hear the show will be underway at that point but we'll still talk to Scott live uh, not live but he will be in Augusta when we interview him tomorrow Uh, have a great day